0: You're listening to The Feed. This is The Feed. This is The Feed. The Feed. You're listening to The Feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to The Feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville.
1: This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. On the show, the nominees and the predictions for the 92nd Annual Academy Awards. Also ahead with Valentine's Day just around the corner, a dating coach takes us from heartache to romance and will tell you about a plan to keep seniors together when they need long-term care. But we begin with a celebration of Black History Month. Joining us now on the feed, Jeffrey Thompson, Director of the Board of York Region Alliance of African-Canadian Communities. Welcome to the feed and welcome to the month of February. Tell me what you are celebrating this month, Jeffrey.
2: So this month, uh, York Region Alliance of African-Canadian Communities will be celebrating their third annual Black History Month. And this year, along with our allies and supporters, We are going to be celebrating the success of our black families by building stronger black communities in the York Region.
1: And tell me about the successes so far when it comes to building a stronger black community through the support of black families.
2: Well, one of the things that we're proud of in terms of the work that we do with York Region Alliance of our community communities is our Sankofa mentoring programs which we have in two, um, at least a couple secondary schools and one elementary school in York Region, which is built around the same principle of uh, quasi.
1: Why is it important to focus on our young people? It's important to focus on our young people because they
2: need—they're the future. You know, we need them to be respectful of themselves, respectful of others and to have that strong character that makes them valued members of the community.
1: And you talk about the success of our black families by building a stronger black community. What, in your view and your organization's view, constitutes a family in 2020?
2: A family is a group of people that love each other. So it could be as small as an immediate family, or it could be big as as a number of people who share common values. You know, I consider the board members at YRAACC, to be part of my family. You know, they may be my extended family, but they're family nonetheless.
1: You know, we, we celebrate all of the successes and the great strides made through Black History Month. And we, the word history stands out to me. We must remember the history, but we also must think about the present and the future, Jeffrey.
2: Yes, that's so true. I mean, but you know what? Uh, Tomorrow People, where, what's that song that says that you need to be conscious of your past? in order to learn from it so you can build a better and stronger future.
1: You know, I look at your organization. What is your primary goal?
2: Well, our primary goal is is basically captured in the mission that's on our website to facilitate and cultivate a progressive York Region African-Canadian community through advocacy, resource development, and service delivery as it relates to culture, education, employment, social services, and other governmental responsibilities.
1: So tell me that in in my uh, you know simple form, if you will, what does that really mean? Let's get to the heart of what your objective is.
2: Well, our objective is, is basically building that stronger community, getting people to bond together, to advocate for what's best for us as a community. Um, I think part of the challenge is when you look in the media, um, you hear a black person being mentioned, and it's usually negative. We'd like to focus on the positive, focus on not only our history, but everyday people who are doing great things in in the community, uh, like the York region, uh, for the future, uh, for their family. So that's where we want to focus. What's positive and what can we learn and build on?
1: I couldn't agree more. So united we stand. Uh, How do you, though, change the attitude of others?
2: I think it's a bit at a time. I mean, for example... You know we're celebrating our third annual Black History Month event uh, on you know, next week, Saturday, the fifteenth, and we invite not only black families to be there but our allies and people who are interested to learn about what's positive in our community and what we have done and what we plan to do for the future.
1: Tell me about your own experience as as a young man growing up in York region uh, growing up uh, as An African-Canadian, a proud African-Canadian. What's it been like for you? Well, you know, fortunately, I
2: grew up in Jamaica, but uh, I've been here for 20 years. And, you know, part of what I've been focused on is helping my children to navigate through the York region to make sure that, you know, they're treated, you know, equitably. They have the resources that they need and can, you know, provide A good addition to society. I mean, fortunately, they have been, you know, gone through the school system in the York Catholic Board and now they're in university and, you know, planning to finish up in the next year or two.
1: As you say in your website, unifying and supporting the next generation, that's exactly what you have done as a father and as a parent. Uh, Let's leave with just some information. If anyone wants to find out more about the event taking place next weekend or about, the Alliance of African-Canadian Communities, York Region, how can they participate or find out more? Well, they can find out
2: more through our website. Our website is yorkregionaacc.ca. That has a lot more information about our organization. Um, For our event, it's on Eventbrite. So you can look for York Region Alliance of African-Canadian Communities on Eventbrite and you'll find out more about our event. It's going to be next week, Saturday, the 15th of February, between 11 and 3. And it's going to be at the Richmond Green Secondary School in Richmond Hill.
1: And how can we on a daily basis, just uh, by virtue of what we say to each other and what we do for and with each other, how can we make a difference?
2: I think we can make a difference by learning about each other, you know, not putting people in a box, but being open to understanding what that person is, you know, how, how that individual uh, thinks about the world, how they view the world, and what their contribution is. So be open, be receptive, and respect each other the way that we want to be respected.
1: Jeffrey Thompson, York Region Alliance of African-Canadian Communities, thank you for joining us on the feed.
2: Thank you very much for having us, and we look forward to seeing those who attend our, our event next week, Saturday. Thank you. Hi. Right, thank you.
1: This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Afua Ba is next with Asialicious, a campaign in Markham to support Chinese cuisine restaurants that are experiencing a loss in business because of fears surrounding the coronavirus.
3: Ongoing news about the coronavirus has recently hurt the Chinese community in Canada, with local restaurants concerned because misinformation about the illness has hurt business. Now, with a helpful initiative that is now aimed at supporting the Chinese community, it is called Asia Asialicious. So joining me to chat today about what this initiative is about is chairman of the Federation of the Chinese Canadians in Markham and as well as the Taste of Asia Festival, Dr. Ken Ng. Dr. Ng, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Talk to us about what restaurants are saying and how they've been doing since news broke about the coronavirus.
4: Well, certainly, it's, a, some, it's the virus. we really reminiscent of uh, the SARS situation for many people that have experienced that. And uh, it, the difference uh, is also similar. Uh, it's a virus and that spread. To, uh, but the problem is it's a lot of misinformation, a lot of... Uh, fake uh, new so-called that we have now with the social media compared to uh, at the time of SARS, there wasn't such uh, things. Uh, now uh, people can go on and then they can multiply in the wrong direction and create sometimes unnecessary fear uh, as well. For so this coronavirus right now, is relatively new and they still under investigation. We don't have any vaccine for it, uh, but most importantly is... Uh, for people to watch their hygiene, to wash hands frequently, to their contact in that way, and then not t- touching the face unnecessarily, and keep the uh, body in uh, good uh, immune status and good health. And generally, it will be just like uh, fighting any other flu virus, and then we just have to uh, be vigilant on that. So that's one of the reasons why we we get this started uh, to, uh, in a way, to combat the misinformation. At the same time, do encourage people to be vigilant so that they would prevent things from happening further.
3: There's been the launch of AsiaLicious with the aim of helping the Chinese community. Uh, Just talk to me about what that initiative is about.
4: It's because uh, this is the busy time of the year, the Chinese New Year time, where people do go out and so on. But with this virus, it hits the uh, community very hard and people are afraid. And matter of fact, with uh, misinformation. They're afraid to go into uh, Chinese restaurants and to be with the crowds of uh, where there are Asian populations as well. So that the misinformation to Chinese non-Chinese it hurt the business in terms of restaurants in the peak season. That uh, that will, uh, in a way, help the economy for the next two months when there's downturn usually before the spring picks up, and that's. They've been hurt. Business down, we heard from 20% to 90% on different business. And some business, if they're relatively new and small, uh, it's hard for them to survive to it. And the workers, they have to pay all the uh, wages as well as the overhead that they have. So, what we would like to do is, first of all, to, to get participation from the restaurant business in the community so that. One, they have to be uh, vigilant in terms of make sure that uh, they deliver the good quality and hy- hygiene, hy- uh, cleanliness, and everything that we'll, they will endeavor to do. And secondly, we'll be helping to promote and market the concept similar to in a way that we've done with the Taste of Asia uh, to have the restaurants that will be promoting from the February 14 for the two weeks that will be there, so the different restaurants participating. will be having special promotions and so that and special dishes that people can go and sample and eat and be able to see. Uh, there's not the thing to be uh, concerned about, and so we we'll bring back the people's comfort and then their confidence in uh, in our establishments in here. So. That will be, it will, be it will be a win-win-win situation. That will be good for the economy, so for workers, for owners, and for customers as well, too. And it's a great opportunity for people that haven't explored those newer restaurants. It's a good way to try it and sample it and uh, leading to it, and then we can continue on further activities as well. And through this, we hope to... Also in, uh, in addition to establish some of the uh, funds that will help uh, further for promotion for uh, general public health and also maybe even help to help some of the uh, owners and business that maybe have a hard time so that they can get through this as well too.
3: Okay, so then lots of activities and lots to look forward to, of course, with Asia Licious, February fourteenth to twenty eighth and a number of restaurants, of course, that will be participating. Um, will there be maybe, maybe be a sign on the the restaurant that they're participating in Asia Licious?
4: Yes, we'll have a sign that will be a sticker on it as well, too. And then we'll be having websites up later on in uh, in the Asian listers But then uh, we'll our FCCM and the Taste of Asia website as well, too, that will be up in there so people see it. But in the restaurant, they have a sign that will be stating that they participant And also they also uh, follow the migrant as, uh, routines that we actually advise them of.
3: What is your message to residents in the community, just looking ahead, towards the launch of asialicious
4: well is to to have confidence in the public health system that we have and have confidence in our mayor and the community doing working together with the heart in mind we're starting on the valentine's day with the heart that we show to other people and to sample the food and to embrace in the different cultures and at the same time to have a good experience and helping economy as well too. So we look forward to working together with the community and um, and make sure to get the proper news rather than just looking at uh, those uh, fake news and getting uh, misinformation. But be vigilant and take care of yourself as well, too.
3: Dr. Ken Ng, thank you so much for joining me today. And residents, let us all, of course, uh, support the community. But uh, let's go and explore some of the wonderful restaurants that are out there um, with this, of course, launch of Asia Asialicious, February 14th to the 28th. Dr. Ng, thank you so much.
4: Thank you very much.
1: This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues and events from across York Region. So we're all about romance on The Feed, this edition, and that includes the most romantic city in Canada, according to Amazon Canada. And if you're ready for this, it is Fort McMurray, Alberta. And joining us on The Feed is Don Scott, the mayor. How did this happen, Mayor Scott?
5: Uh, it's been a long time coming. We uh, we knew that Victoria was seven years running as number one, and of course we were going to be Toronto, our, uh, our primary rival. We always want to make sure that we're ahead of them in, in every category. And romance makes perfect sense and this is an incredibly romantic community and people come here for many reasons but i would say one of them is employment opportunities the other is uh, is certainly romantic opportunities you know a lot of people come here to start a new life this is a great place to do it
1: you also have had a very challenging uh time in the past and i think that brings people's hearts together does it not
5: yeah we had the fire of course and uh once again thanks to all Canadians and all the people all your listeners who supported us during that time but it really uh, created a strong sense of community spirit and a a very strong sense of community so that you know those kind of events bring people together
1: So if I were to travel to Fort McMurray as soon as I could so let's say I arrive tomorrow would I feel love is in the air in Fort McMurray? Would I see it? Would I feel it? Would I sense it?
5: (laughs) You would definitely sense it. Uh, We are a very welcoming community and we I would say we're the most diverse community in Canada. I know Toronto often says that they're the most diverse community, but I taught a class here at one of our local colleges and I think there were 20 different languages in that single class. So that that exemplifies what's happening in this community. People come from all over the world to this location and you know, they, we are very welcoming. We want people from all over the world to keep coming here. So uh, we, we make this one of the most welcoming destinations ever.
1: So you're a tops in 2020. How are you going to keep this going?
5: Oh, we're going to keep working hard. We're, we want everyone to feel welcome here. I, I've always said that this is a community that nourishes the human spirit, and uh, there's so many opportunities here. Uh, there's lots of parks. We have a, a brilliant waterfront where people can interact. Uh, there's a, the highest discretionary incomes in all of Canada, so, you know, there's, uh, there's not only time for work, but there's time for other things as well.
1: You so, mean play. You know, this is a really,
5: is ex- <laughs> a really exciting community to be part of.
1: Quickly, any advice to other mayors from Canadian cities and towns across our fine nation from coast to coast to coast on how to encourage romance in their municipalities?
5: You know, just make sure you have the, uh, the right public spaces for people to get together and go for romantic walks. Uh, you know, a waterfront helps. Uh, we are blessed with that. I don't know not every community is. But uh, really, you want a welcoming community, a community that really is just so happy when new people arrive.
1: That's uh, that's really the key in my mind. Well, you lead by example, Mayor Don Scott Fort McMurray, the most romantic city in Canada, according to Amazon Canada, in the year 2020. Thank you for joining us on the feed.
5: Happy to be, and uh, please thank all your listeners for us, for all the support they've given us since the fire.
1: And more to come. Thank you. So from the most romantic city in Canada, Fort McMurray, to Finding Romance on the feed, joining us now, Tal Shish, dating coach, York Region Psychological Services. Thank you for giving us some of your time and your tips. So Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Let's talk about how one finds love or even like at this point.
6: Thank you so much and it's a pleasure to be here and I'm so happy to produce some tips. So uh, that's a very good question. How do we find love this day? It seems like love is a a hot commodity when everything is around, you know, the corner with all the apps and all the dating sites and everything, but I still believe in love and I still believe that you can find the love of your life and it's just uh, an inch away from you.
1: Now, do you have to be at a certain stage in your own life as far as how you feel about yourself before you can seek the love of someone else? It's a very important question.
6: So, well, it doesn't have an absolute question. One of the things that I do like to tell people and I do like to hear from people is that they know who they are. So when I know who I am, what are my, my, my values that I work based on it, that I wouldn't compromise on them? What are my goals? How I vision my life to be? This is certainly something very important to have, because when I know that the values of family, for example, or the value of money or the value of how it works, it's something that I wouldn't compromise on. So it's easier for me to see when the person sits in front of me, if they share the same values with me or not and make like educated decisions based on that.
1: There's also a chemistry involved, you know, and I know from past experience that I can look at someone and think, Wow, butterflies in my stomach, my eyes are, you know, doing twirls inside their sockets, that I'm just so drawn to that <laughs> person. <laughs> so how important is chemistry?
6: Well, chemistry is definitely very, very important, but it's not the only thing. It's like a math equation that it's a very important uh, component you can't do without, but it's not the only component that has to be in the equation. Because after some time, those butterflies are going, and sometimes even when you have over, when you are overexcited and have too many butterflies, then, you know, it kind of um, uh, makes the other things vague and unimportant. Well, if you're looking for love for a partner to actually live your life with them or spend several years with them with happiness having a healthy relationship, with a great dialogue. So there's still the values that you, you need to see if they're matching. You still need to see how these people um, in, is interested with you, how they respect your opinion, how they respect you and your well-being, how they respect uh, the way you bring yourself into and carry yourself into the world. Because it's very nice to have those butterflies, but if I see that the person in front of me, it just wants me to be, you know, a little less louder or not too dramatic or not to express myself too in a a lens or anything like this, the question is, would they be a good match for me in the long run? A month from now, two months from now, a year, and so on.
1: Tal, quickly, there's a lot of competition out there with the Internet, mm-hmm. with Photoshopping. You know, for both men and for women looking for partners, uh, how do we compete with what is being seen and posted out there?
6: So, first of all, I would take the out of the equation. I know, I know, we're all talking about alpha male or alpha female about uh, trying to get as many, but as it, you it, it can see, it's not about the abundance that helps us to find. On the contrary, instead of going outside and trying to date as many people as possible or to see as many profiles or to get as many likes or loves or phone calls or phone numbers from otherwise, I would suggest to do exactly the opposite. Go inside. Go inside yourself and understand with yourself just have this little reflection, reflective conversation with yourself. Who are you? Who am I? What do I want in life? What's important for me in life? Am I open enough to to have uh, somebody else entering into my life? How am I with sharing? How am I in reciprocity, in a dialogue, in giving back to somebody else? How am I? Am I in a stage of playing games, and I just want them to be, you know, to to pursue me and uh, to go after me, to woo me, as uh, Shakespeare says? Or am I really, really ready and engaged, not to play games, but open to a genuine introduction and encounter, which is genuine, which is really true, because that's all the way around is a lot of masks, a lot of makeup, a lot of Photoshop, as you said, lots of dating, and people are not telling the truth a lot of times. But the most important thing is to listen to my own intuition and to do a self um process. It doesn't have to take a long time, right? It's not, it's not taking uh, a year or two years to do that. It can be, you know, even several sessions with a psychologist, psychotherapist, or a dating coach to understand with myself what is it that I'm looking for. And then, according to that, it will be much easier for me to screen the people that are a possible match.
1: A quick rapid-fire session with you. Number one, where do you go to meet people these days?
6: Well, you can definitely um reach out to everybody that you trust, like family, friends, coworkers, uh places of interest to you, like hobbies. Uh what are you doing in your free time? What do you like to do? Where do you feel comfortable? If I'm an introvert, maybe going to a dance party with three thousand people to a rave party wouldn't be the best place for me. Maybe, maybe in, if, I'm, if I'm an extrovert, that would be exactly where I want to go. So it really depends on the personality. But from what I learned, the most important thing is to be interested rather than interesting. interesting. Instead of trying to be the best or to look the most or to have, you know, the most witty um, phrases or use, you know, all your, uh, good things that are in you, just try to listen to the other side. Try to understand what they want, what is important to them. Uh, if there's a, a mutual base of communication, that's the most important thing, to be interested and not just interesting.
1: Last question, who opens the door first? And I mean that literally and figuratively.
6: Okay, so I might sound a little bit old-fashioned, but one of the things that I really enjoy when men open the door for me um, and in the way to the car. And even, you know, when we sit together in the car, one of the things that I love to pay attention to is if they ask me if that radio station is okay or what kind of music would I like to hear. Because it shows me, not just being a gentleman, but because it shows me a genuine interest that I mean something, that they care about me and my thoughts. In regards to other things like who pays or who, who like, would split the bill, well, it's kind of... To me, it's an easy math. On first date, I don't expect anybody to invite me to a high-end restaurant. If you invited me to a high-end restaurant, well, you should pick up the bill, even if you don't enjoy my company. So I would suggest a neutral place that is not too much. Um, I don't feel too much obligated to, to pay, and I don't feel bad if I don't. I always, as a woman show my purse as my intention to split the bill, but I expect the guys to actually reject it and say, I will pay the bill. But again, this is just me and my town old-fashioned, but I think that the guys should ask and the women should uh, offer a split as well.
1: Great information coming from a dating coach, Tal Shai. Thank you so much. York Region Psychological Services, well done. Thank you. Have a wonderful Valentine's Day. I'm Ann Romer, and this is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com. Well, the 92nd Annual Academy Awards are Sunday night. The Super Bowl of films for many, including Hollywood Suites' own Cam Maitland, Globetrotter extraordinaire. Thank you for taking the time, Cam, in between awards shows. <laughs> <laughs>
7: no problem. It's uh, I mean, it's always nice to talk about it. You can get a little, uh, you know, lonely when you're just doing it on your own.
1: <laughs> oh, well, so let's start with the BAFTAs. Uh, you were there recently, and uh, that is, some say, the equivalent of the Oscars. But in Britain, 1917 did very well.
7: Yeah, I mean, Sam Mendes is a big British favorite. People love him. This is kind of his return to the more ground-level British industry after making all those James Bond films. So uh, I think a lot of people were pretty surprised it won Best Picture and Outstanding British Film, which is a, a pretty big sweep. But uh, I think it's, it's probably going to do pretty well at the Oscars, too. It's a very beloved film.
1: It was incredible. In fact, I asked myself to the movies yesterday so I could see it a second time so that I was ready to speak with you today. I really was just so moved by it and saw things in it the second time that I didn't notice the first time around. Uh, One of the things that really stood out for me was the cinematography.
7: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Roger Deakins has a very unique role in the film because it's such a technical challenge to do this kind of one-take idea. Uh, He was really there from the beginning. He even rehearsed the film with them. They had to build all the sets, the right lengths. They had to consider all, all sorts of crazy lighting. So, yeah, I think that that's another one that, at least on Oscar night, you can pretty much tick off automatically is that Roger Deakins is going to win the Cinematography Award.
1: How do you feel about what Joaquin Phoenix had to say in his acceptance speech?
7: Uh, You know what, I think it was really good. Uh, He's a guy who's known for for pretty kind of brash political speeches, and I think uh, after the SAG Awards, he kind of did a nice, sappy speech about how he loved all the other actors. Uh, But this is kind of back in form, and I think he made a very pointed and interesting critique about the lack of diversity at the BAFTAs. It was, of course, called out by Cynthia Erivo earlier in the week, uh, and she actually thanked him for it. I think that that's always a good thing when you're looking for uh, how to respond to these diverse, Calls, look to what people of color say. So the woman who originally called out the Baptist was happy. Uh, I also think that it was very wise that he uh, implicated himself in the problem. And I think a lot of people, uh, especially people of color working in the film industry, now wait to see him put his money where his mouth is.
1: You know, Hollywood Suite, exclusive live coverage in Canada of the BAFTAs, the same deal when it comes to the Independent Spirit Awards coming up uh, very shortly. Let's talk about the history of this and its significance.
7: Yeah, I mean, the Independent Spirit Awards has been around since the mid-80s in one form or another. The first real one was in 1986. Uh, They're an award show that values uh, not only movies that are a little uh, independent from studios, they also value movies that are made on a low budget, and uh, they also uh, look at movies that are particularly provocative, films that might have content uh, that's a little unusual. So um, I think that this has been a great stepping stone especially in the late 90s and 2000s for filmmakers to kind of make their Hollywood career and also it's a great chance to find movies you may not have heard of. They give out awards for first time filmmakers and they give out a lot of grants and money which makes a big difference.
1: I also noticed that it's often uh, the producer or one of the producers of the film is also the star. For instance, the movie Clemency which I did see earlier this week again in anticipation of speaking with you. uh, That was quite a, a provocative film. It was very low-key but powerful.
7: Yeah, and Alfre Woodard, as you say, uh, had this this huge role. A lot of people actually consider her a bit of an Oscar snub because it was just such a wonderful role. And yeah, as you say, she's been a producer on this film. This film, uh, it took about five years to make, and I think she was on board three years before it even got going. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you also see this Independent uh, Spirit Awards as a place where a lot of actors see the chance to have a great role, especially actors of color. Um, they're really finding that independent film is the place where they can shine. You also have actors uh, like Karen Allen and Mary Kay Place who have uh, nominated roles. These are actresses who you know, either had a career a long time ago or are mostly known as supporting players, kind of stepping up and having lead roles.
1: And also I've noticed growing old gracefully, not doing the Hollywood uh, nip and tuck.
7: Yeah, absolutely. You you see a lot of people who I think, like, for instance, Karen Allen, I would assume with uh, Indiana Jones, a couple of those under your belt, you probably are, are good for money. So I think that the, some of these people are very interested in finding the good and interesting roles. Last year we briefly talked with Tyne Daly, for instance, who I think mostly does theater, but uh, she now and again will find an interesting independent movie and come out.
1: It's a wonderful place for behind-the-scenes deals, and I don't mean that in a negative way. You know, I think about the big Hollywood machines and the dealing and the wheeling and so on that can be kind of destructive to some and, and uh, I guess, incredibly igniting to others. But when you think about the Independent Spirit Awards, there's a kindness that seems to go along with the deal-making that happens behind the scenes.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of what people look to those awards for when they're at their best is new people. I mean, this year you've got a filmmaker who's just 19, the man behind Burning Cane. So there's all kinds of like exciting people. And I think also people who, like I say, have taken up to five years to make a movie. So these people often are hungry with a lot of new ideas, and they've really proven themselves. So the Independent Spirit Awards is a great way to uh, give them a little boost. Also, like I say, there's awards like, for instance, the Bonnie Award is $50,000 for a mid-career woman filmmaker. This year it went to Kelly Reichardt, who will accept on Saturday. And uh, that's, uh, you know, just another way to help someone along in their career.
1: So the Oscars are Sunday night. This is, for many, the Super Bowl of all things magically movie-oriented. So, may I do a a quick Q&A with you on who you think and this would be coming from you and obviously your colleagues at Hollywood Suite because you all are in the know. Best actor?
7: Uh, I think Joaquin Phoenix. He's, it's a, for the major categories it really seems like a walk and that's uh, Joker did so well it's a billion dollar movie and I think a lot of that comes down to Joaquin so I, I think he's going to take this one.
1: Best actress?
7: Uh, Again, this seems like somebody that's just been showing up again and again. I think the easy money is Renee Zellweger. Uh, She's somebody who kind of quite publicly had her struggle with the Hollywood machine, and you see a bit of her in Judy, so I think that that really speaks to Hollywood.
1: Best director?
7: I think that this one, I'm going to put my money on Bong (laughs) Joon-ho. Parasite has been such a phenomenon. Uh, and it's tough to know where they will award it. It kind of could appear in many categories, but I think that this is where they like to reward a foreign language director. Um, you remember Alfonso Cuaron winning for Roma and now I think this year it's going to be Bong Joon-ho.
1: And best film?
7: Uh, This is where my cynical hat comes (laughs) out. Uh, You always need to remember that the best film is a preferential ballot. So what tends to rise to the top is the movie that kind of everyone can agree is good. And I think Parasite might be a little too divisive. So I think I go with 1917 winning best picture.
1: Best supporting actress? Actor.
7: Oh, uh I think probably Laura Dern, she's also been uh really really going the whole way. Best supporting actor, that's the tough one. Do you do you have a favorite? What's yours?
1: No, I am really stumped on this one and it, it they are they're often the unsung heroes, those who are nominated and recipients of those awards best supporting. I mean, that's a that's a tough role but it's also a pivotal role. So your guess is as good as mine.
7: Yeah, I think, I I mean, Brad Pitt seems to also be doing, the thing with the four major acting categories is these people have been charming and winning (laughs) the whole season. So it would be a real upset. Um, Somebody like Joe Pesci, who I think turns in a career best performance, is somebody who doesn't really like awards season. So he's not been around. So I, I think it'll probably go to Brad as well.
1: And, you know, a lot of people think of him as the, all-American guy, but also they would award him for his body of work or <laughs> his body.
7: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I actually think an interesting thing that a lot of people might not know is is when diversity is such a key issue in a lot of award seasons. Brad Pitt is actually a massive producer of African-American filmmakers, so I think he's somebody that reflects quite well on the industry, somebody who really gives back in that regard.
1: You are so right. You know, I I learned, and probably from you, I learned to sit through the credits, and you'd be surprised whose names you see come up in terms of producing and, and, you know, anything else that's pivotal to the film. Brad Pitt's name comes up a lot.
7: Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of people really credit him with their success and a lot of very interesting people. So uh, I think that he is well-liked in the industry in that regard.
1: Any surprises, do you think? Do you remember, and you're pretty young, so maybe you don't, but I remember very well, Oh, they had streakers and they had, you know, rather militant speeches and so on. Are there any anything that you think could happen, which means it isn't a surprise if you're able to predict it?
7: Well, you know what? I think that, that a lot of the unpredictable is um, probably coming in those surprises, you know? Like last year, Olivia Colman had a great speech because she never expected to win. Uh, I think some interesting people that, if they won, would be quite a shake-up is probably Cynthia Revo. for instance. She has been quite outspoken, and she is really the only uh, actor of color nominated. I think a lot of the people behind the Joker are, are quite an interesting crew. A lot of them are—they uh, worked with Todd Phillips for a long time, and he comes from a very independent background, even though he's this big comedy director for the most part. So I, I think that they may have uh, a little uh, a little heat behind them if they win. They're they're kind of industry outsiders uh, who maybe aren't taken so seriously. Um, and I also think if anyone from Little Women won, uh, that's kind of a pretty big snub for Greta Gerwig, and it's kind of the second snub in a row. The Academy has a real problem nominating uh, female directors, so I think that some of them may make uh, pretty pointed speeches.
1: We lost Kirk Douglas, and, you know, it's amazing how long he did live and how powerful his uh, repertoire is and his history, his cinematic history. What a loss. But imagine living to that age. Will they, do you think, the Academy celebrate his the life and times of Kirk Douglas on Sunday night?
7: Yeah, I, it's always hard to tell, you know, and it seems like every year there's somebody they lose right before the show, and I guess this year it's him. Um, The interesting person, who I think a lot of people maybe forget, uh, who is also an Oscar winner and a member of the Academy, is Kobe Bryant. So uh, my feeling is likely the show was meant to be focused towards him. But also somebody like Kirk is so deeply uh, involved in the Academy, perhaps they had a little inside knowledge that he wasn't doing so well. Um, So I I think uh, if not in the big reel, uh, they'll at least acknowledge it on stage.
1: I am so excited to see what happens over the weekend, in particular the Oscars on Sunday night. What a pleasure always to chat with you. You have incredible insights, and I appreciate it, and I look forward to joining forces with you again. Cam Maitland, Hollywood Suite, you are amazing film and content specialist and uh, a good friend to us here at 105.9 The Region. Thank you.
7: Thank you all. Have a good uh, weekend.
1: listening to the feed, we are joined by Daisy Y, Parliamentary Assistant for the Ministry of Seniors and Accessibility, also MPP Richmond Hill. Daisy, we're talking about an amendment to the Long-Term Care Homes Act, which will provide, if you will, togetherness for seniors who want to be in the same home when they need long-term care. What is the motivation behind this amendment?
8: Well, it is very clear that it's an important issue for many Ontarian families and i and we are committed to examining how we can keep our loved ones together we can see that when spouses are together they can be there to support each other and because uh, as uh, the senior are uh, getting to the older age when they especially with those that has dementia having somebody that they can have good memories together will actually help them and giving them a better life, uh, a better
1: quality of life. This is an NDP proposal. Why is the government uh, supportive of this?
8: Well, the government is supportive of this is because we care we care for the, uh, the seniors. We find that, um their well-being, the dignity of all long-term care residents, we recognize the importance of keeping the partners together. And we know that it is going to cost a lot and we are, we are ready now to look into it and see how we can afford this and uh, putting this out for the seniors who have been working so hard for the rest for their whole life to to keep up with um with the
1: generation, so it is our job now to keep them happy. Well, our seniors made this country what it is that is for sure let's, oh yeah let's talk about the financial ramifications but also availability on a just a regular basis. I know that it can be challenging for families to find suitable long-term care for their elderly loved ones. When we are talking about times two, meaning spouses, what will that mean as far as money is concerned and uh, availability of space?
8: Right now, as you know, that we are expanding the long-term care. Um, we have 15,000 more beds for them. But having this included into the mix as a system, we are looking into... Uh, a- uh, like a totally different way of registration, and it's a big transformation. We understand the cost that it will entail. Um, I know that, uh, especially Ontario, we are in such a critical crisis at this point with um, uh, with the debt that we're facing. However, we know what is important to us. Uh, when we take care of our seniors, and especially when they don't have to visit the hospital as much, we also have a lot of savings from one area. Hopefully that can be worked out in such a way that we work with the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Seniors and Accessibility, as well as the long-term care. We'll find a way to get this through.
1: Let's explore the emotional, uh, I guess, benefits of something like this, both for the couples, the spouses, but also for The support of families.
8: Oh, yes, definitely. I've heard a lot of stories, and I, I know some people who have to go to two different places to visit their parents, the mother on, in one long-term care, the father in the other, and each other are are crying to want to see their the spouse. So it is emotional, and I know this is something very well received by Ontarians, but it's just, uh, as you can understand, it's not just the financial side. It has to be administration system that we have to revamp it's a lot of work that has to be done so be patient with us we are fully in support and we are committed to support Uh, give us a little bit of time to put that into uh, a system so that it will be benefiting everybody
1: your government has been under the microscope and and somewhat criticized for its approach to health care how do you think the public will respond to this? Oh, I'm pretty sure the public will well receive this. Uh, in fact,
8: our healthcare—we have been doing a lot of work. Even the healthcare, you can see, just recently we put in another 1.9 million uh, into into healthcare, and we are doing our best uh, in revamping, making sure that is patient care is important. So this will be carrying through into the long-term care, into this bill that we're working towards, and we just care for the individual, the patient.
1: How quickly will this act come into force once it receives royal assent, Daisy? I cannot tell you at this point, but I know that we have been working very hard, if you can see in,
8: the, uh, in over a year that our government has already generated so many changes, even the transformation in the healthcare, can you imagine the amount of work that is in there? So I'm sure we are working hard, but I cannot tell you a, a specific time at this point because um, we are all working on it and we will announce it as soon as we have that answer.
1: And it's very nice in in today's day and age to see the two parties working well together. I appreciate uh, that information, and I thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you very much,
8: Anne. And honestly, we are working together for all Ontarians, despite of parties, despite of uh, the different uh, politics that we are in.
1: We are just caring for
8: Ontarians.
1: Daisy Y, Parliamentary Assistant for the Ministry of Seniors and Accessibility, MPP Richmond Hill, thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our music coordinator, Christina Lavecchia, now with new music from Trevor Dubois.
0: Just for tonight, and can I call you baby? Would it be all right, we could leave without a trace? I like outer space. We could have. Thank you for coming by. Hi, thank you for having me. Trevor just
9: did an amazing performance of his latest single, Just for Tonight. If you want to check that out, you could head on over to York24-7.com. So what is Just for Tonight about?
0: I have to be careful here because we're on the radio. <laughs> just for Tonight is about a, a night I had in college. I met someone and we uh, were we spent the night together. We're
9: very friendly
3: with each other. We <laughs> were
0: friendly. Um, and sometimes those situations are uh, great and fun. And sometimes they're some, something you should just do for tonight. Just a one-time thing. And um, everyone's been there on both sides of it. Um, I was kind of worried writing a song about... Uh, something like that where I would be like oh yeah like I'm um, you know I'm the best or whatever but I definitely have not been the best in situations like that many a times so I think it's I think it's just something that uh, is relatable and that it's kind of just a uh, a night out that wasn't uh didn't end how you had it planned
9: Last year you announced to your fans that you will be rebranding yourself to use your real name Trevor Dubois yes. cuz th- some people might know you as Charlie the Kid Yes What made you make that shift.
0: Charlie the Kid was an idea that my professor in college and I came up with as a name that felt like how I wanted to sound. But the issue with that is after a while it felt uh, inauthentic. It felt weird going back to my hometown uh, in Russell, Ontario and saying on stage, hey, it's Charlie. And they're like, no, it's not. They know you as Trevor. Yeah, because that's my name. It feels more comfortable. It feels more honest and it feels more authentic.
9: And I actually read something very interesting that you got into music at the age of 11 by Mm. playing the video game Guitar Hero. Yes,
0: I got Guitar Hero for a birthday, a birthday or Christmas present.
9: And is there a particular song? I've played Guitar Hero and Mm. I had my rock star moment. Yeah. And our morning host, Jim Lang, will really love me for this. But my favorite song playing was Ozzy Osbourne's Crazy Train. Yes. And so, was there a particular song for you that kind of just really said, you know, I'm going to do this, or this really inspired you?
0: <laughs> it's it's not as much like, I'm going to do this. I was into bands like uh, Guns N' Roses and Led Zeppelin, and Kiss was my first concert, and I thought, this is so cool, and I got a bass guitar, and I got an electric guitar, and that's just, all I, I, it's just that's all I spent my time doing, really. My, my parents would say, go play outside. And I would just take the guitar and the amp outside <laughs> on the front porch or something. So Your neighbors just,
9: must have loved it. Oh,
0: <laughs> me playing rock you like a hurricane over and over <laughs> on bass guitar <laughs> or on a campfire. Yeah, they loved it. Um, but but it was just a thing that I, like, I really loved this video game. So I thought, why not you know, get an instrument? And mm. my dad got me a a cheap one, thinking I'd play it for a week or something, and uh, it's been 12 years.
9: And although you're fairly new to kind of the music game, you've had Mm. some really big experiences. You were on season two of The Launch, which is a music competition, Mm -hmm. and you recently uh, went on stage with the Arkells. (laughs) So how did that come about?
0: Um, They kind of go hand in hand, actually. (laughs) The guest mentor on my episode was Max Kerman, who's a singer from the Arkells. Mm -hmm. Super nice super charming um and really like had some some great like feedback and words of wisdom and i I made a sign for the show at bud gardens in london and it said can i play guitar for private school being one of their songs that's only three chords so i knew that was an easy one so i made i made the sign dm'd them on instagram before they left me on red uh. So I was like, oh, they better. <laughs> like, I'm going to be third row, front row, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I made the sign in front of like five, 6,000 people. Holding it up, holding it up. Max was like, all right, grabs the sign, calls me up.
9: Awesome. So he greeted you on stage.
0: Yeah. Uh, they called me up for the second half of the song, played uh, a couple chords, did a little dance, shook oh, my, my hips around. It was fun. But the next night I played at a pub and it was pretty empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as pub gigs are but you know I'm trying to trying to make trying to pay rent um, and I was just I closed my eyes and I was thinking of that that just like sea of people and that that sort of just envisioning that and using that as a reminder makes the uh, the tougher times a bit th- there's a light at the end of the tunnel I guess yeah. and I don't know if they really realize how uh, important that minute and a half was for me so if you're listening thank you Arkells
9: as you were saying, like, do you find, I guess, you know, trying to draw a crowd in and, you know, being an independent artist, how has it been for you?
0: Everyone goes through it of just like feeling like you suck, feeling like why am I doing this? And then now and then you get to, I don't know, be on a TV show and and sort of get a little bit of validation that what you're doing is uh it makes sense and that uh, what you're doing is valuable and you don't suck as bad as you think you suck. You
9: can't just be so hard on yourself. You oh, to, I'm so bad you know, at that. we're all our worst critics, yes. so. Yeah. So, you actually introduced me to something that I didn't even know it really existed for musicians, which mm-hmm. is virtual busking.
0: <laughs> yes.
9: So, how did that all come about, and, and is it working?
0: So, my manager, CJ, saw that there was a couple people, I think in Nashville, that had done this, and made a living off of it, and a... a like significant amount of money, and he said, uh, you should try that. And what it is, is it's busking on Facebook Live. The best thing would be at uh, treverdubois.com. That's D-U-B-O-I-S. And uh, everything is sort of located there, so you have links to the Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Um, what we did is we set up a a link that people can click and leave mm-hmm. a virtual tip. It's literally just a, a PayPal but if someone says, oh, can you play this song? Because because it's live, I see comments right away. Uh, I'll say, okay, yeah, this one's for Michael, and I'll play it. Or And then I get a little email notification. $5 has been deposited. Well, I'm that's like, awesome. man, that's so cool.
9: <laughs> and Trevor has a performance coming up on Valentine's Day to see him live in person. He'll be at Rum Runners at London Music Hall. It was so much fun having you here at the studio. And uh, come by anytime.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Christina. Can I call you baby just for tonight? Can I call you baby?
1: This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. We'll pass it over to Jim Lang now for the game plan on PuckCast.
10: We're back in the feed. One of the great things about 1059theregion.com is our podcast page. We have a little bit of everything, including your sports fix, along with the podcast with the star of the show, a dear friend of mine for a long time. Paul Bruno joining us on the show. Paul, how are you?
11: I'm terrific, Jim. Thanks for having me here.
10: It's a pleasure. Um, Let's just talk about what people get from the podcast on our podcast page for the hockey fans out there. What kind of things are they getting when they're
11: listening to you and your team? They're getting news and notes about roster moves, injury updates, and really finding out who's hot and who's not for the purpose of building your fantasy squads on a daily basis for as little as five cents a day.
10: And that's important because I know just recently we had a a story that um, Jake Muzzin got basically uh, loaned to the Marlies on a conditioning stint, and that's the kind of thing, if you're into fantasy, you need to know that.
11: Right. You want to know when is he going to debut again uh, in in game action in real time with the Maple Leafs, and uh, what position is he going to play, how many minutes a game is he going to play, is he going to be ticketed for any special teams duty, penalty killing, all that sort of thing, And, and what is he known for? There are leagues in fantasy that even count hits and block shots, Jake is not a top-scoring defenseman per se, but he'll factor in in terms of the block shots and hits. In fact, he's one of the few defensemen who tops the 100 mark in each of those categories year after year.
10: So if you're trying to build a good fantasy back end, you would want a player like uh, John Carlson... But also, a Jake Muzzin, because they get points from each category.
11: Right, and that's really the basis of building your team. You've got to really understand the range of categories out there. And so our information is that broad that we encompass most of the stats categories that are not just the goals and assists and points, which is actually redundant when you think about it, and penalty minutes. That was in the infancy of stats. That's right. You have hits, blocks, shots, takeaways, and that sort of thing.
10: Uh, Once upon a time, I always dealt with, I always thought of, You have to be in the league a few years, really establish yourself. Then you, that's a guy you want to go for in fantasy sports and fantasy hockey. Now I'm looking like some of these young rookies at Quinn Hughes and Kel Macker. And I want them, even though they're fresh rookies, I want them on my fantasy team.
11: Absolutely. You've got to understand the roles that they've already made, carved for themselves include the special teams duty. And really, that's a key in terms of driving the point totals. It still boils down to getting productive people in terms of the point production. Quinn Hughes, already on the power play. Kale McCarr, already on the power play. So that's another separator that really people should be looking at when building their fantasy squads. Speaking
10: with Paul Bruno, at Statsman22 on Twitter, part of the podcast you can get on our podcast page at 1059theregion.com. You do work with rotowire.com. That's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E.com. Uh, fantasy sports, you and I have known each other a long time. At one time, it was like, oh, that's nice. And for, just to put it into the listeners' minds, how much money is spent on fantasy sports in North America every year?
11: Well, it grossed $25 billion, That's billion with a B, Jim, last year. $25 billion. Right.
10: That is more than some of the sports leagues itself.
11: Exactly. And that's why, for instance, as I talked to you before this pod, uh, promo went on air, the first tab on the NFL website is, in fact, fantasy. That should tell you the significance because the, because the NFL has by far the largest social media presence, by far the biggest legalized gambling association. And really, those are key aspects that these leagues are looking for in terms of the next wave of their marketability.
10: When did it become, oh, that's nice, fantasy sports
11: to $25 billion a year? It's, it changed about 15 years ago. And it changed because of a company such as Rotowire, which started to feed player notes into the websites to inform the listener that there's an opportunity to get good information from the source at each league's main web page from a reputed agency like Rotowire. Huh. And then that drives people to say, I can build my own fantasy club, play for free just for the fun of it, but also try and play it and win money. But you don't have to break your bankroll, Jim. And you can play, as I said, for five cents a day, reload a different lineup or reload multiple lineups every single day if you want. And it's not like you're relying on parlays in the pro light environment, for instance, this is a much easier way to win money. And Now, what I'm seeing is, um, they call it the soccer moms,
10: kids, people of different backgrounds. It's really quite broad, the people that play fantasy
11: sports. Right, because it's been made easier. And, and the information is out there for everyone to say, here's how you can build a team. They give you websites like FanDuel and DraftKings. They set you up and say, here's 55000 fantasy dollars. And they provide a list of all the players worth on each day hmm. based on the lines they're playing on, based on the matchups, whether they're home or away. So they provide you with all the information, and you simply have to point and click, and your lineup can be created in about a minute.
10: And so, and it also, it kind of makes it fun, especially, say you have a, a family function or something's going on, you can't sit and watch the game, but then you can go check your fantasy sports standings and see how you did that night.
11: Absolutely, and these these teams are updated in real time. So anytime there's a goal or assist or a, penalty or anything that drives the point totals for your individual players, it updates in real time. You can have it set up like I have my laptop there on my table in front of me while I'm watching the games and I can look and say, oh, that goal meant this much in my positioning. I'm now in the money or I just fell out of the money because this guy did this and it updates right before your eyes.
10: Now we're mentioning the NFL, we're mentioning the NHL, Paul, but I have friends that are really into the fantasy golf teams of the nba with the rappers and basketball has become huge in this country and uh, you name the sport people seem to be getting into it soccer the english premier league italian league
11: absolutely and all those leagues are covered at agencies such as rotowire by no means is rotowire the only company that's in that space they're just the ones that i work for but they have people covering all these sports in all these ways that we're describing,
10: it's fantastic. You can check it out, the podcast on our podcast page at 1059theregion.com with the star of the show, Paul Bruno, your fantasy hockey, fantasy sports expert. You can find him on social media at Statsman22 rotowire.com and I played ball hockey with this guy and I witnessed his 50th <laughs> ball hockey goal and I saw him save it. It's a
11: true story. It is. 50 goals in 34 <laughs> games so I was pretty excited about that. My 7th year. That's why they called me the stats man.
10: The stats man, Paul Bruno on our podcast page. Paul, real pleasure. Thanks my friend.
11: Thank you very much, Jim.
1: Well, that's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or you have a story idea or a community event to share, please head to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for being with us.